One of the many things that I admire about my brother is his dauntless experiments with music. His voice is powerful and soulful. His ability to layer harmony, calculated. It's probably the reason why, at a young age, he started listening to jazz music, a place where science and magic converge. Contrary to my childhood experience of learning classical piano, I was told what to play and when to play it. My sight reading was sluggish, and my teacher was morose. My indifference towards the great works of Bach and Beethoven left me contributing very little to practicing. I was at odds with the material. Even in 1906, education reformer John Dewey had a point when he stated that facts and truths that enter into the child's present experience and those contained in the subject matter of studies are the initial and final terms of one reality. To oppose one to the other is to oppose the infancy and maturity of the same growing life. As educators, we bear the responsibility of bridging the gap between the child and the abstract. We are the more knowledgeable other in the room, who must see to it that the child's present experience transitions into another, more versatile and resilient experience. There should be no fixed idealization of children because, in adapting that mentality, we fall into the danger of labeling them as behind, advanced, or disadvantaged. True learning stems from genuine curiosity, and it certainly bodes the questions, are we doing enough in public education to incite curiosity within our students? And are we being provided the means with which to do it? Such questions would have rivaled my piano teacher's rhetorical inquiry of, did you even practice at all? I could never come up with a good answer. I always just sat silently on the piano bench, hearing the faint jazz riff my brother had created muffled behind his bedroom door. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Taoist Podcast. This is it. This is episode four. Finally, it took forever. Uh, I am with my bro. Hey. Hey. That wasn't planned, folks. That was all improv there. Um, <clears throat> dude, it's been forever. I don't even know where to start, it's man. It's been three episodes. It's been three. <laughs> yeah. It's three episodes have uh, spanned the course of I don't know about a year, <laughs> so we're moving right along, slowly but surely. Um, yeah, man, this is episode four, and I'm. It's been I've been so busy, and that's no excuse because, you know, you got to make time for your dream. Yes, and you know the things that you're that you're passionate about, which which I am, but it's like. When do you find the time to record a podcast? And you don't find time, man. No, you make it. You, you make, make that time. time. You make time, and uh, I would say that this is. I think we 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 talked a lot before the podcast, but I think this is the busiest I've ever been, bro. In your life, In my life. Are you peaking? I don't know. Is this it? I don't know. I we always say that. We're always like, yeah, man. I don't know if I could. I think I'm going to do a career change. I think this is it. <laughs> like, if you've been in the system for about 12 years, that's where you are. And it's. I'm not. I'm not like saying that I'm. I'm someone special. Every, I think most teachers go through this point after being around for 12 years. Yeah. In the system, you're like, okay, um, 
There's got to be something else out there. Right. I think I think I'm about done. <laughs> <laughs> but you say that, and you something always pulls you back in. No, it's it's the next chapter. Yeah, I think. I think you're sort of you're you're writing your own story. Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah. How you just said that? It's true, man. Because you, the, I think if you think of it, and I know this this is probably one of the reasons why. You know, you get a little bit anxious on figuring out what you want to do Mm -hmm. after college. It's like when we think of our lives as linear, it gets really sad because it's like, well, I don't know if I can make it to the next stage or I don't know if I'm good enough to make it to the next stage or, you know, what the hell is the next stage? And it's just like the moment that you're able to, to suspend yourself or divorce yourself from that idea that life is linear, I think you can kind of enjoy it a lot more. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't plan on, you know, getting promoted or going to a higher position. I'm kind of just, like, riding the wave right. <laughs> of all this. Yes. It's like, yes. how long can you hack it? <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not worried about, like, okay, you know, if I get X amount of episodes of my podcast done, you know, maybe that will get me to the next step of, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's just, like, I'm taking it day by day. Hell Yeah. Oh God. And it's not that I don't, that that's like a philosophy that I believe in. It's just that I'm too lazy to think far ahead. No. Yeah. No. If you put it that way. Yeah. I think I'm also just a little too lazy to be too that forward thinking. I agree though. I I think I've come to embrace that ideology, that, that way of day-to-day living, you know, one piece at a time. And that's maybe not the best work ethic for (laughs) me personally, but it's gotten me this far in life. And I think, uh, I think you're doing good for yourself, man. This Thank is, you. you're, you're making strides. You're making big steps, you know? Yeah. It's, it's cool to see you finally happy and doing the things that you, you want to do. And instead of waiting around for, for things to happen. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I think even though I am busy and I said this before to you, you know, I, I'm involving myself with I'm, I'm involving myself with things that I I really enjoy, yeah. Like jazz piano, like jujitsu, um, and even like with with teaching, like trying to come up with ways that I am profoundly interested in delivering the material. Sure, and we can get into that this episode too. Which, by the way, is is kind of a this is a weird dimension here, because now we go from, you know, starting off this podcast in episode one, and now it's like being aware that there are a significant amount of listeners. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, so when I started off the school year, it, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to be battling with this. It's like, okay, this is kind of like my personal podcast. This is, you know, we're going to talk about topics that may or may not be appropriate for some listeners. Mm-hmm. And yet... <laughs> I'm also in the position of, you know, being a teacher. And it's like, I'm getting now people being like, hey, Mr. Dow, I heard your podcast. Uh I'm like, oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's like, it's it's bearing that responsibility. Yeah. And am I ready to, to, to do that? Yeah, I think I am. But it's still, you know, it's, it's kind of like a weird dance. It's like, okay, what, what are some of the things that you say? What are some things that you refrain from saying? Is that important that you refrain from saying it? Is it important to being authentic? Mm-hmm. How authentic can you be? You know, and it's like it, it, 
it puts you in a weird position just because you are aware of now the amount of listeners and who's listening to your podcast. Sure. Don't censor yourself. Don't don't feel like you. <laughs> I, I I mean, within reason. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I I think that you've been conducting this podcast very professionally. Hey, man, and I need to hear that. Not necessarily from people, but just from you. Your your opinions, the only yeah. one I care about. Also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's well, why I've then. been on the show twice already. <laughs> In, in four episodes, I'm 50% of the content. To be like, um, he's in episode 5, 8, 10, and 12. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Yeah. You know you know what you're getting yourself into. Listener. Well, and I also want to be, I want to get more, more I guess who I normally don't talk to that I converse with. Mm-hmm. You know, guess, guess perhaps that I've only heard a little bit about. And I'm inspired by and, and would have them on. I don't know. I haven't even gotten to that point yet. Yeah. Like having a, a really good lineup and scheduling something. Given unlimited resources and unlimited networking potential, who, who living or dead, would you want on this podcast? Ooh. Okay. So, and, I, and why is it Anthony Bourdain? <laughs> yeah. And why specifically? I would love to have Anthony Bourdain in here. That dude's really, really busy, I'm sure. So, <laughs> um, but the, yeah, I would love to have him on. Sure. Um, there's a there's a guy who's who I'm reading right now, and he's a guy who I'm reading. Uh, there's an author who's uh, he passed away, I think, within the last five years, and he actually, I think, lived in Evanston for a bit. Cool. And uh, he's a he's a, a curriculum theorist and historian, and his name is Herbert Clybord. And he Herbert Clybord. Herbert Clybord. And uh, he's reading some real. He's writing. He wrote some really good things that I'm just I'm captivated by, like um, the struggle for the American curriculum. I'm currently reading right now, and he he has a, a couple of other essays on uh, curriculum theory and history. And I'm I'm just I'm like blown away. There's a lot about Dewey that I think a lot of people Dewey. don't know. John Dewey, and uh, I don't know. Maybe we or not. We'll get into that. You could be making up that person, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kaflake Kef- a Um Doctor Kaflake wrote some stuff. Mm, I know no. that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I know him. him. <laughs> um, no, but he talks a lot about John Dewey, and uh, I mean his his analysis of of how we we got to the type of curriculum that we have. How we fucked America over. <laughs> how, would you, how do we screw up so badly? So what's his stance? What is, what's the general idea of... It, can you give me like a, uh, like a thesis of his or something? Yeah. Well, there's basically... The way that it all started around uh, the early, I would say, uh, 19th century... Uh, that's when like big education reform kind of came into play. Sure. And there were like four interest groups that wanted to take, basically just fought over the way that the curriculum should be. You have the, and I'm going to butcher this, please correct me if I'm wrong listeners, but uh, the first group is the humanists, right? They believe in maintaining this mental disciplinarian approach to to education where you you read these classics mm-hmm. right the highest forms of expression the 
the class, the, the, you know, literature, um, history, geography, you sure. stick to those disciplines and you, you basically are able to, uh, strengthen your mind as you read those classics, because those are basically the, the highest forms of expression in our culture. Okay. Right. So this is one bucket. This is, well, this is one interest group that, that kind of believed it. And, you know, for a long time, people believed in that, okay. that type of education that this, you know, uh, work is broken up into to disciplines. And we see that today. We right. see that in our own departments. History, geometry. Right. Sure. And that's the way to, to kind of get kids in line, to get them to think a certain way. Yeah by focusing on those specific subjects. Okay, and then p other people came along like the developmentalists, and they're sure. like, look, that you, that's all great, but there needs to be more involved. Like, we need to know exactly what's going to happen, uh, uh, what's going on with these students, right? These kids, their development, and what, you know, the context in which they're living. And we have to build a curriculum based on that development. Uh -huh. Everything emulates from the kid, the student-centered. Right. Student-centered, right. Right, right, right. And that's all great, too. Right? We always talk about that stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and then a third interest group basically says that, look, it's more than just that, too. We need to change society because an, an education is the only way to get there. And education is a, is a great way to change the ills that are destroying society. Mm -hmm. And those are the... Uh, What's for? There's social media... Miliarates. Social media? Social media. No, those are social familiarists. So you have the developments, humanists, and the social familiarists. And now the fourth group is the uh, social efficiency teachers. What the fuck? There's a dude who traveled to about like 36 states, and uh, he observed the, you know, the public school system, and the, his biggest gripe was that teachers suck. This dude wasn't even a teacher, and people were pissed off. Sure. It's like, how can you make these claims about teachers? He's like, okay, well, there needs to be a specific rubric to follow these uh, specific guidelines that makes the ideal teacher. Everything from like the way that teacher holds their pen, or a teacher presents themselves, or talks, or stands up, Sorry. or looks, even, yeah. appears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything was broken down into that kind of like way, because you know, in order for you to, to be a successful school, you need to have A-plus teachers following these specific criteria. Right. Miles, what do you want? I've bo I think I've, I've caused a lot of traffic accidents because people just fell asleep right now. But what? the point is, is that four, <laughs> four interest groups have fought over the, the, the curriculum. And today, it's kind of just like a hodgepodge of all those groups. Right. That's it. Right. That's how we got here. And is, is that necessarily a bad thing, taking those four... Uh, points of view and today's sort of discipline of teaching is amalgam of those four things. It's not a bad thing. And as a matter of fact, the, th the great thing about Dewey is that he never really took a side. Yeah. He's like, you could, you guys don't have to fight. Like there are valuable things to take from all four of these things, right. but it never really kind of came into fruition. Like he tried doing things in his lab school at the university of Chicago mm -hmm. You know, and he, he was a psychologist and a sociologist. Yeah. Right. Or at least he was the head of the sociology department at one point in uh, University of Chicago. And when he created his lab school, he, you know, he wanted to start this type of curriculum that kind of involved all four I ideas uh -huh. or facets from from those interest groups. And, you know, he never, it never really came into fruition. Sure. Or at least in the public school system. 
And so when you realize how we got here and how the curriculum is historically, you get like a better understanding of your own pedagogy. Yeah. Because you're just like, well, I believe in that. I also believe in social, you know, social efficiency for teachers. I also believe that everything emulates from the child. I also believe that the humanities are important piece of the curriculum. And it's like, shit, all these things just matter. Yeah, you're blowing my mind right now, dude. Oh, thank you. This is like, I this you, is... I thought people were falling asleep. No way, man. This is, uh, this is a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff uh, when it comes to teaching. <clears throat> and <clears throat> you sort of take for granted the, the depth and the multifaceted approach that comes to teaching. And yeah, like you don't even think about these things that you experience in school, the values that you impart in children today. Um, unless like you really, really look into this stuff mm -hmm. and it's, I don't know, you're blowing my mind right now. I've never heard of these, you know, principles. I don't, I've never heard of John Dewey before. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like I'm reflecting on things that I've gone through in school, the experiences that I've had and it, it's sort of touching on, you know, keystone moments in my learning career. Yeah. Everything, everything you just said. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, John Dewey, and I, I, I need to read up more on it, but he, in a nutshell, he basically says, look, everyone, you could take a lot from both these interest groups. Sure. But here's what is kind of John Dewey's thesis, too, if you want to, in a nutshell. He says that you need to, everything emulates from, from our experience, mm -hmm. right? The, when we, come across material, whether it's, you know, learning something from our culture, learning something in the classroom, learning something from an interaction that you have with someone, it's very difficult to teach anything if it's, if it's an abstract concept away from the child's experience or mm -hmm. the student's experience. Right. You need to tie that in with everything that they experience. The sum, the sum of all experiences. Right. And that, you know, that I think is just mind bending. Mm -hmm. That one term, that sum of experiences, you need to take that into account. And there's like, you know, 30 40 kids that you're in charge of, maybe more. Mm -hmm. I'm not too sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you gotta, you really gotta consider where these kids are coming from and mm -hmm. what they've been through in life and you need to play that into your teaching. Right, and the role of education is is essentially to, to harness those abilities that they currently have, their right. potentials that they currently have, right. and just sharpen them and refocus them or not change them, but like, you know, cultivate them. Mm -hmm. I mean, we hear that all the time. Oh, like holistic education. What does it mean to cultivate your child's potential? Well, no one really had a good way of doing it, but people thought they did. Right. Oh, well, then we'll we'll just align what they have to do with these these certain objectives. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, wait a second. Whose objectives are these? Are the are these fr coming from the kids? Like, do you know a lot about the kids, or can we give these blanket standards to everyone yes. and follow? Yeah. It's like, you know, and. These are all byproducts of these four interest groups. Yeah. And no one really knows how to put it all together to make it work. Is that kind of the battle right now in in teaching in 2017 is like trying to rid the world of that blanket statement saying, hey, like this is what's good for the kids. We know like this is tried and true. We've researched the kind of curriculum we need to implement. Um, is that like what needs to change? I think people need to, to, to look at history a little bit more and how we got here. This right. is why I'm doing this. But the, the problem is, is that you have so many people who are looking up these like fads, you know, these cool research fads, yeah. like, oh, like 
you know, all these acronyms like, you know, like STEAM is another thing that's, that's, you know, STEM, STEAM, REM, DEM, you know, it's like there's, there's a plethora of different acronyms and fads, educational fads, you know? Right. And it's like, it's not about the fads. Sure. Like it starts with who you are literally looking at right now. (laughs) Like that kid is off the charts creative when it comes to okay so here's here's where it gets kind of funny because now that i know a little bit more it's it's kind of informed my teaching right now mm-hmm. okay so you take that idea that everything stems from the child's experience all right and then you find ways to kind of harness or cultivate that particular experience so i've noticed that with my 7th grade shout out to the altax woo woo who listened to this um <laughs> You, I have students who are remarkably smart. They are unbelievably smart. And there's this, like, there's kids who are into history. There are kids into, you know, um, space, you know, space dimensions, mm-hmm. time. There are scientists. There are people who are, you know, into their specific culture. And it's like, okay, what activities can you create that not only allow them to cultivate that particular interest, but also refine the way that they're thinking? Mm-hmm. All right. And so that's all what it is. It's like, I think we're just, we're not really taking that into account that not only should we talk about how, how these students' strengths are, but like finding ways to really capitalize on there. There's a girl who talks so much in my class. She can't stop talking, but she likes telling stories. Okay. So what do you do? Well, you, you, provide an opportunity for them to tell stories but you don't just have them stand up in front of the room and just blabber right you throw in rhetorical devices you throw in literary devices you throw in like sentence structure so that not only are they cultivating their interest in talking too much in storytelling but you're guiding it right right you're providing them with refined tools to to chip away at the stone block that they have within them bespoke curriculum <laughs> right i like it dude yeah. yeah i mean and that this isn't this isn't something that's like oh you know i just thought of this right it's something that ev- a lot of people do but it's just it's hard to really fully do it right this isn't some like thing i that's that's so unique like people are even doing it currently yeah but how do you do it in a public education system right you it, money you need that money man you don't even need money you need good you need, teachers. You need autonomy. Yes. You yeah. need autonomy. And to what extent does your school provide you with that autonomy? Mm-hmm. Lane Tech provides me with a lot of autonomy. Good. Well, <laughs> let me just say <laughs> that compared to other schools, okay? Good. Good footnote. Yeah. Compared to other schools. And I've heard horror stories of schools where... You know, you you have to follow a line from the door to your podium. You have a specific script that you open up. You have to read verbatim, you know, and kids can't talk. Right. Kids are listening. It's like, that exists in 2017. Yikes. It's nuts. So anyway, that's that. My brother's such a smart guy. I I don't even know what I just said. (laughs) And that's our show yeah, for today. That's about it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know, man.
Good stuff. You're, I think you, you're on, on track to be a trailblazer in the profession. I think a lot of people are, though. Like, there are so many brilliant people in our, in our building. It's insane. Like, the potential that these... If, 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 if given... Uh, I don't know how you phrase this. There's just a lot of brilliant people in the building, and it would be nice to have a design that allows everyone to just kind of do what they're really enthusiastic about as mm-hmm. teachers. Yeah. That's, and, is that the dream school? Is that? Well, there are schools that do that. Yeah. Currently, you know, it's just, it's not accessible to every, per, every professional in the public school system. Right. That amount of freedom. But yeah. it'd be nice. Yeah. It'd be freaking cool. Imagine what we could do. Imagine the cool things that we could do. We're not stupid people. We're, we're enthusiastic people, but that enthusiastic is, is, is hindered by a lot of all the other bureaucratic things that we got to go through. Sure. But I'm having fun. I'm having fun experimenting and like having these kids enjoy the things that I'm allowing them to do. See, that's, that's something I don't really understand is that, uh, Teachers d- aren't taking enough liberties to experiment with children, and that sounds kind of weird. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you, yeah. like I think mm-hmm. taking the time to uh, try new things um, and toy around with ideas and see if implementing them, you know, is is going to work out. It's not going to hurt the yeah. kids, obviously. Um, but like the things that I hear about you doing in your classroom are just uh, those are things that I've never experienced. At, at high school and things that I wish I did, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think what the biggest thing that I'm changing this year, that I, or at least emphasizing a little bit more, is their ability to, to question. And that sounds terrible for some people because it's like, wait, wait, you want them to question authority, bro? Like, that's not cool, mm-hmm. you know? But do it in a way that is probing intellectually. Right, constructive. Yeah. I mean, even even um, William Schubert, he he's, was a former professor at UIC, and he, in his book, Curriculum Paradigm, oh God, I think it's Paradigm Possibility, or uh, Perspective Paradigm and Possibility, he talks about how, you know, the three questions of why, how, and why, mm-hmm. or how, why, and why, <laughs> what, <laughs> why, how, why, and why, 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 and why, why, fucking why, why? Um, how, what, and why, right? Those sure. are the basis of curriculum. Those are three questions. What 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 is worthwhile? What knowledge is worthwhile? Why is that worthwhile? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to obtain or demonstrate that knowledge? Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to them about how to question, it's like, oh, wait, we got to make up the questions, Miss Shadow. That's crazy, man. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, bitch. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to do it for you. You have to. True learning comes from genuine curiosity. That's why right. we're so self-motivated to learn the guitar and the piano mm-hmm. because we want to. We want to know what's the next step. Right. For jazz piano, I want to know why this chord is not that chord. I don't want to just memorize it. See, jazz piano has also allowed me to kind of learn very differently as yeah. well. And once I, the moment that I became a better learner or appreciated learning was the moment that I became a better teacher. Nice, man. Yeah. And so jazz piano has kind of opened up my mind to to also questioning like I for years it's just look at that note Monaco play that that score 
and just slowly and surely suck at this song. <laughs> and that I was mean, it. Yeah. That was piano. That was it. Right, right, you just right. learn the notes right there. Yeah. So there was no music theory, but here I'm constantly questioning, okay, well, why is that note significant? Why is there a transition there? Why, you know, why is that that certain voice or combination of things? Yeah. And you get a more profound understanding of music in that way. Right. Same thing with these kids. Question everything. You know, they're like, Mr. No, why do we have to learn this? I'm like, damn. It's like, no, I got to actually find meaning. <laughs> ah. And it's good. That's good. It's important to start them early and say, hey, you don't know everything. Yeah. You don't know everything and constantly be curious. Yeah. And they're always like, well, why do I have to learn this stuff? It's not applicable to my job. It's like, first of all, you have no idea what you're going to be in the next 20 years. You think I wanted to be a teacher like my whole life in grade school? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So you have to really think about, first of all, what value can I take from from the things that I do learn? Right. It's not just this has nothing to do with me. It's how can you take value from the things that you learn, whether right. you're in history, English, science, how, what connections can you make? You know, and that's a true learner. A true learner can find the value in anything that they learn. I told them that's a very, you know, that's a facet of Taoism is that you don't lose, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I really like Taoism. It's jiving with me, is that you make, you make use of everything that you do. From the moment that you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you make use of everything that you do. Right. And so it's like, I, I, I try to encourage them. And it's hard to do when you're in seventh grade to be like, yeah, I'm going to value everything yeah, that yeah, I yeah. learned. You know, but that's a, I think that's a good way to really get through life and education at the same time. Yeah. You know what that is? Mm. It's the sum of experiences. That's the sum of experiences. Okay. Fuck yeah. Where did you get, what is that from? I don't know. You just, you've heard it? <laughs> Yeah, it's like a cliche, mm-hmm. but I, it's pretty profound. You it know? is. Um, I'm asking for recommendation letters from from my preceptors. Uh, I'm in pharmacy school. Um, it's a very niche world. It's a very small world, yeah. and you hear that time and time again. Um, but when you ask somebody to reflect on how, like your performance or or things that you've succeeded in, it's it's the sum of some of all experiences. Every stupid thing you did, every time you got caught doing something wrong, goes into a box in your preceptor's head, and you know, mm-hmm. that's what a, a rec letter is. It's the sum of experiences. Yeah, and I've kind of just like I've been bugging out over that. That's life. It's learning. Right. It's teaching. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and and again, going back to Dewey, he emphasizes that he calls it the continuity of experience. Granted, there are. Moments where it's miseducative, mm-hmm. right? Not ex- not every experience can can lead you to the next experience, but that's that's the idea. The continuity of experience allows you to move to the next stage of learning. Right. You eventually learn more and more, not necessarily com- uh, difficult things, but more complex things, where you think a little bit more laterally. Right. You you begin to find those connections and embody them in your life. Like the fact that I could take something from jazz piano and somehow equate that to the way that I live is fascinating because in jazz piano, you have the fun, the foundation. There's, mm-hmm. there's certain rules that your left hand does 
on the piano. And within those rules, you could improv, right? We call that improv, or and, and discover notes in a way that is unique to your own ear, you know, your own heart. And that's kind of like a beautiful marriage between those two concepts of, right. of being liberated and also being like, you know, having a good foundation. And that's, that's where I am right now. It's like, what parts of Catholicism do I still hold on to? Because mm-hmm. I certainly am not Catholic anymore. Sure. <laughs> but what values can I take from, from that upbringing and also explore different types of beliefs. You know, what parts can I take from the values from mom and dad, mm-hmm. but also kind of, you know, experiment with the things that, that I've never experimented with as far as different beliefs and, um, and ideologies, right? right? So that, that's, that's, that's kind of a big part of it too, but... Stay open-minded. Yeah. Stay open-minded, you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. It's a sum of experiences. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag some of experiences. Do you think that by being part of the, the pharmacy school, you know, you're able to to appreciate um, teaching a little bit better? Because I know that's something that you've wanted to do, right? Is that... Yeah. 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 So I just finished up a uh, a rotation at UIC. It was my academic rotation. They give... <clears throat> they give students an opportunity to uh, to teach and build a curriculum and uh, write assessments for the students and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, it's essentially teaching pharmacists how to be pharmacists, and I thought that was very um, rewarding because one of one of the biggest values of teaching that I found is um, that aspect of passing on knowledge and having it just continue throughout time and like preserving, preserving certain things and practices that I believe in and imparting it on, in others mm-hmm. and like letting them, uh, absorb it and make it their own. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's super rewarding to, to see people enlightened in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, how many, how many people or how many students are you kind of like overseeing? We were in charge of the entire uh, incoming class. Which is how much? That was like 160 kids. Wow. Yeah. But it was it's bizarre because um, we sort of got to know a lot of them personally, like a good, good handful. Um, but, dude, those teachers at, at school, there's like two teacher, teachers in charge, of, in charge of 160 people. Wow. 160 kids. And they, like, they know their names. Um, they know what they're into. They know what kind of profession they want to pursue. Mm-hmm. So it's it's cool. It's it's cool taking ownership and uh, being accountable like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an aspect of teaching that I've been particularly attracted to is taking ownership in your ideas um, and forwarding it on to to other people. Do you do you guys have podcast stuff going on in uh, UIC? Uh, or like, are, do you know anyone who's like doing it? Like undergrad, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. There's not a lot of, like I said, it's a very niche profession. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of pharmacy podcasts. Have you ever thought about doing your own? Probably. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. I think it would help raise awareness. And here's why I say that. Um, I I know nothing about teaching. I, I've known my brother for my whole life and I've known him since he wanted to be a teacher. And I, to, I'm being completely honest here. I'm leveling with you. I did not know anything about teaching 
from like the fundamental aspects of it. I knew that teachers taught from a curriculum. That's it. You know, be a good teacher, set good examples, be a good role model, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is the humanistic um, ideal mm-hmm. from John Dewey. Well, he, it, it, it's from the human. The humanists is one facet, and John Dewey was an observer of that. Right. He uh, never necessarily aligned himself with that. But you're right. And it's, yeah, it was that rigidity that I've come to understand with teachers. Um, but seeing seeing you talk about teaching and being so passionate about certain things has opened my eyes to what goes on behind the scenes to mm. being a teacher. There's so much more that goes into uh, being a teacher, being a leader, um, being someone who's reliable and someone to look up to. There's a lot that goes into that. It's not something that happens naturally. Like you've done so much to get to this point. And a lot of people take that for granted. Students, parents, uh, society. Um, and that's in due part because not a lot of people know about, you know, what goes into teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, and that's, that's the thing too. It's like when we recall moments in grade school, right? Usually it's very rare do people are like, bro, like I really love that, that lesson on algorithms, man. Like you remember that one time in, in whatever grade, you know, Miss, Miss Sosa taught us about subtraction. It's like, right. Wh- what? Right. right <laughs> no one talks right, about that. Right. They all talk about like the dude who has his hands down the pants every day in school and, you know, who, who smelled like, like urine <laughs> one yeah. day or, or like the, the, the game that the teacher played to help us memorize, you know, vocab words. Like it's the experiences that we have that we, that are the most potent. Right. And if you're able to tie that with like subject matter, I mean, imagine how much people would retain, mm-hmm. you know, instead of them coming back from the summer being like, I don't remember a thing from last year. Hell yeah. You know, I can attest to that. Yeah. So it's like we, we recall our experiences. The question is, is like, how do you tie the material to experiences more effectively? You know, practice. You put, yeah. this is, this is what I love about being a, a senior in pharmacy school, a P4. Yeah. They throw you into the environment. Mm. They say, hey, this is what you've learned. This is your sum of experiences. It's yeah. time to go, you know, go save people's lives. And that's where I'm at right now, man. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool place to be in. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is like the, the, uh, the pinnacle, the peak. Like it's, it's the test. It's the final test. It's mm-hmm. the rite of passage, you know. Mm-hmm. Take what you've learned. Go be a pharmacist. Yeah. Man, that's got to be really, really scary for you. Yeah. <laughs> Trying not to kill people every day. It's crazy too because I don't know. That I've sort of become uh, desensitized to it. Like it's becoming less and less of a concern that I might kill somebody someday. <laughs> but that's because I feel like really confident Good. In, in my abilities. And I that's it sounds pretentious, but I think like... It, that's what they prepare you for in school is mm-hmm. making sure you don't kill anybody. Yeah. Or, or mess up their way of thinking for the rest. I mean, that's, that's the burden I have to, to carry. Right. It's like, <laughs> like I could, you could definitely mess up someone physically. I could mess up someone psychologically. Yeah. <laughs> you just bred 40 <laughs> racist neo-Nazis. It's like, how class. did that happen? 
Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I should have just started <laughs> the curriculum. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> exactly. Day to day, man. Oh, take it day to day. I do take it day to day. Maybe that's a problem, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to teach today? Okay, let's see. Mm. <laughs> and then that's when you wheel in the TV on that on the on the cart. Yeah, we're gonna watch we're gonna Planet w- Earth for forty hours, <laughs> yeah. guys. We're gonna watch something from Nova. <laughs> oh. Nova. You know man. what? The only oh God. Last year I didn't show many movies, but this year I showed uh, the, a documentary yeah. to the kids. I call it, we watched Daughters of Destiny. On for those of you who haven't, please watch it. It's amazing. It's amazing. I talked about it in episode two. This podcast is uh, brought to you by Netflix, by the way. <laughs> yeah. For, uh, uh, give us some money, Netflix. Yeah, come on. We're man. promoting your shows. Please. Um, but yeah, it's Daughters of Destiny. And basically, it's, it's about a, a boarding school in Shanti Bhavan, which is in uh, Tamil Nadu, India. And <laughs> just making more shit up. <laughs> yeah. John Dewey lived there. In Lardnard, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> India. Uh, and basically, it's a school that takes students in for free. 12 boys, 12 girls every year uh, from the age of four up until they graduate high school. Um, And these kids are from the lowest class, the untouchables. And even though the caste system constitutionally doesn't exist in India, in the rural parts, it's very prevalent. And it's called Daughters of Destiny because it focuses on female students. Because even though it's a boys and girls school, it's a co-ed school, the... uh, the girls have, I mean, females have it incredibly difficult in those areas. Sure. And they're an untouchable. So they have kind of have to, it's a double burden for them. Yeah, double dink. So you see, you know, I, what was fascinating was seeing the reactions of the students and they're just like, oh my God. Like, I complain about stuff all the time. <laughs> so it kind of provided them with a, with a different perspective, which was great. My freshman class saw it too and they're just like, wow. Like, I didn't realize how hard my mom and dad worked mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. You know, and uh, how blessed I am to have two parents. Wow, I have two parents. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely provided them with that perspective. So that was really cool. But it also makes you take a look at, like, what's going on with your own education. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have that extreme. Right. Like, the idea of Shanti Bhavan is, is you, you have these kids graduate get to good colleges, get good jobs, and they essentially uproot their families from poverty, mm-hmm. right? So they have that as a, a burden. Right. That they're, they're, they're superheroes. And they're breaking 1,000 years of socioeconomic, you know, and racial uh, oppression. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to pay mom and dad back. Right. <laughs> like, we just have to pay off our student loans. That's Fuck, what dude, we do. Don't even get me started. <laughs> but like, we don't have to uproot nobody from poverty. You know, we're we're so lucky to be to have the education that we have. Yeah. You know, as as much work as it needs, still the fact that we we're able, we were, we were mom and dad worked their butts off. Hell yeah, man. You know, still super fortunate. Yeah. Like mom hasn't slept in 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, God, you take all that stuff for granted, you know, and 
What do you do with all that? I don't know. You, you got a better house. Yeah, let's get a bigger house. Mm-hmm. It's like, and the, the what makes teaching difficult too is that sociocultural difference mm-hmm. and variety. Because you'll have kids who are like, I'm the first um, generation in my family. I'm the first person to go to college or who's going to college. Right. And um, no one else has. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, you have a lot of responsibility. Yeah. The pressure's on for you. Exactly. And then there are kids who are like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be an artist. So it's like none of this stuff matters to me. Right. I don't really care. Like my family's well off and, you know, I'm just here for the experience. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that may be. It's like, man, you have those two types of kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> you know, it's so complex when it comes to public schooling. But it's fun though. I like that shit because it it gets me thinking. Good. It's like how do you meet these two extremes? How do you create a classroom where both of them are like engaged? Mm-hmm. And I don't I, it is kind of like tiring, like mentally exhausting, but it's fun to like think of stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like a good puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> nice relaxing puzzle. A good socioeconomic <laughs> puzzle to do, you know? It's so fun. <laughs> it's not like a sociopath. Uh. I wish you could meet my seventh graders. Can you take a day off of school and just come in and meet your seventh graders? Yeah. I, you know what we should do is I should just dress up like you and then <laughs> see if anyone notices. There's this one bio teacher and he's, he's one of the few Asian males in our building. And, uh, he, he doesn't look like me, but to these seventh graders, you know, he's my identical twin. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> we're like, we should just swap classes and see if anyone notices. Did anyone notice? We haven't done yet. Oh, yet. We haven't done yet. But, you know, it's not that people are racist towards Asian people in our building. It's just that. It's just that all Asian people look exactly yeah. like. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. That's just a matter of the fact. The fact that we sound alike, I mean, you know, we sound alike. We say the same kinds of words. Have you ever heard this? Have you heard that? um Filipinos are the Mexicans of Asia. I heard we were the black people of Asia. That's even better. <laughs> that we Where are, did we're, you hear that? We're, it was a comedian. It was a comedian. I forget who it was. But he said that Filipinos are the black version of Asians. But I mean, think I about it. I could kind of see that. Yeah, we, we break dance, right? <laughs> we play basketball. Play basketball. We, man, there's a book, there's a book about, um, the Filipino, uh, obsession with basketball. Yeah. Pacific rims. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it talks about how the, the basketball craze was just like a phenomenon in, in the Philippines. It just blew up Yeah, because it's, it's supposed to be, uh, how it started was it's like a a poor man sport. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that was that I think the Filipinos were able to uh, identify with that. Mm. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing because it's like, even then I didn't feel, well, I was just a really bad basketball player. Yeah, we were both terrible <laughs> at basketball for the record. But like, yeah, man, like there's so many great, great basketball players growing up. Like you, we went to St. Margaret Mary grade school and 
like seeing that that level of competition and then the PBA just like what what oh yeah I think the PBA was sort of the breaking point for me because I thought I was good like at Margaret Mary yeah right yeah like I fucking own the court <laughs> and then yeah you go into PBA and then you got like you know Filipino supermen on the floor yeah just a it's bunch nuts. of Jeremy Lin's going around I'm yeah like, oh my god These Jeremy Lin was pro- probably starting the PBA yeah and by the way Jeremy we're not saying that Jeremy Lin was Filipino that's the only reference we can for Asian NBA stars <laughs> I mean, it's not much. That yeah, we that's all we got. We weren't Yao Ming's. Like they were short and like agile and just amazing right. basketball players. Right, right. And Dad wanted us to be that. <laughs> <laughs> we, and instead, he got a pharmacist and a teacher, <laughs> who are who are mediocre yeah. at basketball. Dad, we got to make music videos right now. <laughs> we have a song to play on our piano that we're gonna uh, we're writing right now for on a podcast for a showcase for V Show. For cultural show. For cultural show. <laughs> for this international is, yeah, days. This is our culture. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so that's our life story in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, man. We're <clears throat> but like that that was the crowd. Like Filipinos, you know, they it was all about dancing. It was all about baggy well, at least for me, baggy jeans and fubu and cool water cologne. Yes. Mm. Curve. R&B, 90s R&B, right? Is that the camera? Is that out of battery? It's out of something. Oh, man. Okay. No worries. We still have one. Do you want to go to commercial? Do you have to go to the bathroom? Yeah, that's what I meant. Go to the bathroom. We'll keep running. <laughs> we'll keep running this. You're just going to talk to the camera? I, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do my first rant. I got to go break the rant. seal. You're going to rant? Let's, let's not. We'll try. You have 27 seconds. <laughs> Please, please make sure you wash your hands. You don't have to rush. It's okay. Nope. Um, so that whole rant about Dewey, I would love. The thing about this podcast, guys, is that it's it feels very one sided. I haven't had anyone talk to me specifically about the things that that I have said so far in my episodes, which is okay. Which is okay. I don't I don't expect you to to stop in me in the hallway and have long conversations about every single thing that uh, I go over, nor do I expect you to listen to the whole episode. But uh, I would like to get to know anyone who'd be interested in talking about stuff like that. I'm a nerd when it comes to learning about curriculum theory and history and, and all that. And as much as uh, you know, I'd like to listen to professors talk about that, it's always nice to kind of learn and just talk about teaching in general. Um, and I think also too, it, it just, it makes you get through this sh- job a lot easier. <laughs> just kidding. Right no, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I think if, if you could go back and be like, okay, what could I do differently? Like if I had, Oh, you are opening up a can of worms yeah, right now. Yeah. If I, if I wasn't going in a pharmacy, what do you want to know you want to know what i answer every time someone asks me that question what i think i would be a a music producer really hell yeah why can i have some yes of course um i don't know it's just been something that's that has stuck with me it's the one thing that has stuck with me persistently Mm -hmm. over time 
a music producer. Was that something that started off uh, at a young age? Yeah. Um, so we had a Casio keyboard yeah. a long time ago. And uh, you know how you just press play and it, it would loop, give you some like disco, disco dance loops? Yeah. It was just intriguing to, uh, to, make, to make music. Sure. And it sound, that sounds incredibly generic, but the thought of starting from like silence and then building up something that is coherent mm-hmm. and it sounds good and you, you like the way it makes you feel, I don't yeah. know. There's just something like ethereal about it, and I, I've been chasing that my whole life. Yeah. Not only that, but like you get to, to work with up, like so many different types of people. Yeah, you know, so many different types of artists. The collaborative aspect of it, I think, that's gotta is, be super cool. Is really cool. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a good point. Wow, I could see you doing that for sure, man. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's probably Plan B. Definitely Plan B. Mm-hmm. I could just drop out of school right now and call it a day. Make it plan now. Forget it. Let's just do it. Let's just make music, as good or bad as it is, and then we won't go to work tomorrow. It's it's weird though because I've always considered myself a creative person. And I'm kind of going through this like quarter life crisis where I I'm thinking maybe I'm not as creative as I th- I thought I was. Mm. But I my excuse and it I I'm identifying this as an excuse is that I don't have time to be creative and that sounds like the biggest cop out in the world. Mm. But I I really do think that Creativity takes time, and it's not as spurious as people make it seem. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there is a certain spontaneous aspect to creativity, mm-hmm. but I'm just that kind of person who needs to sit down and think about like what I want to create and like sort of dissect it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. Are there ways to kind of t- maybe contribute to that? That creative uh, appetite slowly, like in in spurts, like you spend maybe 20 minutes just writing or making beats and then walk away and be like, all right, that was 20 minutes. I'm good. Yeah. I've sort of, I've, I've taken on that um, approach and it's helped a lot. Um, Sometimes I'll get stuck. It's like writer's block, you know? Sure. Um, But like you just step away from it for a little bit and then you keep cracking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, you chip away at it, and I think that that really does make a difference. Yeah. Well, it's like this. It's like this podcast. I mean, I, you know, you want to have as many as, as you can crank out, you know, but then it's like, well, I kind of don't feel like doing one right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like it's, it. you got to be in the mood. You got to, you kind of got to feel it out, and you, you got to start somewhere. You know, you can't be cranking out two episodes a week, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, like you really do have to start somewhere. And you'll hit your stride eventually. Yeah. Not to say that you haven't, but <clears throat> like it's any any kind of creative venture like this. You will hit your stride eventually and then by that point it'll be second nature. Mhm. And you're going to have like awesome people on the show. Mhm. And it's going to evolve into something really cool. Hopefully, man. Hopefully. But going back to the 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 music producing thing, like where would you start? Like what if you were like, okay, this is it. I'm I'm following this. Like, what would you do? What would be the first step? Getting an idea, man. Yeah. <laughs> writing a song. That's always the hardest part. Okay. So definitely writing a song then. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, when's the last time you wrote a song? A long, long time ago. Yeah. And here's the issue. I've always thought that writing a song, I, I always thought that it had to be a love song. Right? Yeah. Like your song needs to be emotional. It needs to, um, it needs to be romantic. It needs to have some kind of sentimentality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like with that being said, I, music, of course, is going to have some kind of sentimentality t- attached to it. But writing a song could mean laying down like a drum track mm-hmm. or having a melody stuck in your head and realizing it on the keyboard. Yeah. You know, that, like writing a song can manifest itself in so many ways mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be lyrically profound or it doesn't have to be catchy. Yeah. It has to be audible. Like you need to be able to listen to it and that's it. Mm-hmm. And there are times where where you could record something and then not touch it for like a month and then something, you know, clicks, something clicks. Yeah. You know, it comes to you serendipitously and you're just like, Whoa, right. Like right. That right. fits now. Right. You know, and that's kind of a really cool way to, to understand creativity is that people think that you just got to grind it out. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you have, and again, this goes back to what one of my former students said. It's like, you have to let it breathe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's got to take a life of its own in, in a way you can't keep forcing it. <clears throat> right. Something's just got to happen. Yeah. But on the other side of the token, there are, I understand that there are those people who are just able to fucking write an album in a mm-hmm. week and, you know, respect to those people. Yeah. But I don't know. People need to understand that creativity isn't something that can be like, it's something you're born with. I think people that, yeah, yeah. you can, you can earn, earn that ability to be creative. So then couldn't one argue that like time isn't really the problem because if, if creativity is kind of like cyclical and, you know, untethered, so to speak, wouldn't couldn't one say that time isn't the issue yeah definitely Uh, it ebbs and flows it waxes and wanes it it comes in spurts it doesn't come at all it it happens it doesn't happen you stumble upon it um so there's a certain element of chance Mm -hmm. to it like you might just so happen to have a great idea um but sometimes sometimes i'll find myself sitting down and just thinking about something, thinking about a melody or a beat or something. And then it'll happen. And then like, I'll crank something out. Yeah. Creativity is a funny thing. You know, like when I was a kid, I felt like creativity just came to me constantly. Mm. Yeah. It was easy to um, like imagine stuff. Yeah, (laughs) it was. It's weird. Cause you're not like, well, okay, technically that can't really happen. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the adult (laughs) psyche. Yeah. You have voices in your head saying that's fucking Dupe. <laughs> yeah, that'll never work. Yeah, when you were a kid, yeah. you you didn't really have those those boundaries or those voices in your head saying, you know, that this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Man, we need more of that. Yeah, we need more I of agree. that. And it, <clears throat> I think I, I still can can have that feeling of creativity in my profession. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, as a matter of fact, that's like one of the funnest parts is coming up with like cool ideas to right. to try and implement. Um. But I think the difference is it's like, it's not time. It's how much are you willing to risk? 
you know, yeah. in, in, in making that kind of happen. You right. won't know until you try it out. Exactly. And if you fail, like, oh, that's, that's actually a really good thing because now you can make it even better, mm-hmm. right? If you come out, with, come out of the gate just like everything's perfect, you have too much control, right? right? And if you don't have kind of a battle plan, then it's too loose and then it'll kind of fall to the wayside. So you really need to know not only the, not necessarily the material, but like your own self on delivering that material in a way that you're comfortable with and in a way that kind of fits the dynamic of, of the classroom or whomever's learning. Right. So, you know, that's kind of the, that's where, that's why I feel like I'm having fun is because there are times where I'm just like, that's it. That's what I got to do. Not because my, you know, the English curriculum told me that that was a good idea, but because something happened that a student said or something, you know, some interaction happened. And I think that that should be the centerpiece of the lesson because of what happened literally yesterday, you know, and that's kind of like the lesson that I want to try and interweave throughout whatever objective I'm trying to do. So again, it goes back to like, what is kind of the thing that needs to, to be addressed at that moment? And you won't know. Like, it's hard to plan a curriculum, you know, in the summer because mm-hmm. you don't know your students. Right. You have a general map of what you want to do, but you don't know what you're going to get. So with that said, I think even even in teaching creativity, sh- you should allow it to creep up on you and you should take the time to kind of seek it out. Seek it out and take that risk. Right. That's cool, man. I didn't know that you want to be a music producer. Me neither. Yeah, you were always you're always fiddling with like with music, man. And it's I think that's one thing that I regret is growing up, I didn't allow you to to kind of contribute excuse me, to contribute to uh <laughs> the singing group that I was in. I didn't Oh my god. I no, exam- I think that worked out for the the better. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. You you probably had a lot to offer though. Another uh, sum of experiences I want to touch on is uh, is how uh, how my taste in music was sort of uh, sculpted by by you and Ate Mahal, our sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sort of got the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. and. Um, I don't know. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like you had an influence on what kind of music like I listen to or Yeah. I think a lot I think people just have a big influence on the music you listen to. Anyone that you spend a lot of time with or yeah. look up to or appreciate as a person, like you could kind of you could definitely it's like a, a contagious type thing. Right. Yeah. But you know what's interesting though is that I think the, the cool thing about jazz music is that I never listened to that shit when I was growing up. Yeah. Like, who listened to jazz music when you were, you know, 12 or 13? Right. And now I listen to it, and I'm like, I'm mesmerized. Yeah. We went out with uh, a couple of people from work at a bar, and they were playing live jazz music. And I was like, this is a magic show. Yeah. What he's doing is magic. Yeah. Made you moist. Yeah. Very moist. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to be, I want to learn how to make other people moist. <laughs> I want to do what that guy was doing. And that's jazz music. <laughs> yeah. That's weird because I, I feel like we've switched places. I, I listened to jazz. Really? When I was a teen. When no I was in way. high school. I've yeah. never heard you. Really? Yeah. No, I was weird. Um, and I, I loved 
the freedom of expression that jazz offered. Mm -hmm. And I still do. I still love jazz music. Um, but now that I have garnered that appreciation, I kind of want to delve a little bit deeper and find out structurally what makes music sound good. Mm. You know, like it's, it's one thing to, uh, to be like, like we said, spontaneous, creative, creatively. Um, and I think jazz music offers that so much. Um, but I've found myself tuning in more to like, how does the, like the sonics of it, does Mm. it sound good or like, does it, um, you know, what kind of, what kind of mood is this evoking? Mm. Yeah. A lot more. Yeah. A lot more analytic. Yeah. Well, well, that's exactly what my, my piano teacher said. He's like, you have to be analytical about this. He says to help with, with, artistry when it comes to jazz you have to be analytical right you know and that's the thing it's it's a big cognitive dissonance for me musically because growing up when i was when i deviated from classical piano and like started making my boy band you know r&b music it was all about like imitation of what was on the radio right right and like a recreation of that and making it sound like what is popular out there right and I never really took the time to understand or appreciate scales or chords or even looking at music anal- analytically. Right. And when you do that, you you actually become more humble as a musician mm-hmm. because you don't realize how how much how much dominance music has over your way of thinking mm-hmm. and how there's an element to music that you could kind of like be a scientist at the same time. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you are a part of an element that you create, but also is beyond you at the same time. So right. you have it. Basically what I'm trying to say is that you begin to have a certain reverence for music. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. There's, there's a method, <clears throat> there's a method to the madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a method to the madness that a lot of people take for granted. Like you said, this should this is an episode of cliches. <laughs> <laughs> Some of all experience. It's got method to madness. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover, folks. <coughs> Man, I can I could talk on and on about jazz music. And I'm still learning. There's like there's so much I don't know, but there's so much I'm able to do now that I never was able to do. Yeah. you know, six months ago. I'm like, oh, like the moment that it starts sounding <laughs> like like something <laughs> like <music>. good. <laughs> yeah. And not like like a f- giant fart. Yeah. It's like, oh, I could do this. That's cool. That's fun. I think it's high time that you uh, wrote, started writing the, uh, the theme song to this podcast. Oh, my Lord. It's episode four, dude. You're overdue. I do like, though, the, the variety of when, whenever a guest comes on, I'll play like a song that reminds me of them or makes me... It's like associated with them somehow. Yeah. When did you start doing that? Just in the first three. Just just the, all the episodes I've been. Sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, because I did Faith for the first yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do for this one yet, though. Probably Faith again. <laughs> <laughs> a repeat of... Yeah, this is exactly what we talked about the first episode. Yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> I had a student come up to me and be like, yo, Mr. Dow, I don't know what the hell you were talking about in your first podcast. <laughs> I'm like, neither did I. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, it's funny. I was like looking at, I always look at like the stats on this thing. It's like two subscribers, <laughs> one subscriber, 
zero subscribers, <laughs> zero subscribers. So you see like day by day how many people subscribe. But it's like, it's still, it's like growing. It's like a plant. You, you walk away from it and yeah, you're like, grow. oh, it's still alive. <laughs> like that's not, it's not dead yet. Okay. We got some, it's growing a little bit. You can see a leaf or a bud there. <laughs> All right. Not bad. <laughs> We're making it happen. Thanks to our uh, sponsor, uh, Alpha Brain. Alpha Brain <laughs> is a uh, supplement. No, nah, we don't have any sponsors yet, unfortunately. Yeah, so get at us on it. Man. You know what, though? There is a, a place, a, a thing called uh, Patreon. You've heard that? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, 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 Patreon. What'd you laugh? No, because I thought you were going to make a, a plug for Patreon. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, that's a really good, yeah, I, I've heard of that. That's it's a good uh, place for creators, content creators. So I want to get on that and have that as a way for people to <clears> donate <throat> some money to my life. Yeah. I don't know if you want to just pay me. Yeah, you can just Venmo at Monaco Yudao. Let's <laughs> just accept direct donations into the bank account. <laughs> as a matter of fact, just, you know, have cash at the ready when you <laughs> see me in person. Um, We're going to be handing these out like mixtapes. From our straight from our backpack. <laughs> oh my god! That, yeah, Patreon. Yo, cool, you gotta though. listen. Yeah, Patreon is cool. It's cool. Um, yeah, you could do like one dollar a month, folks. Yeah, and then like you give subscribers a little something on the side. Yeah. Like, uh, what would we give? Like, I don't know. Some people give out like bonus, uh, bonus episodes. Okay. Oof. Like outtakes or something. You can make the video mm. podcasts uh, a little tidbit. That's I don't know, true. Man. You got you got choices. You get a personalized song from Magellan Yadao, the aspiring music producer pharmacist. You know what? Maybe for the next episode, or maybe that's yeah, maybe that's what it is. We do like a song. Yeah, I'm if surprised you do, we actually haven't yeah. haven't done music on here yet. Yeah, man. Like if, but I'm okay with that. That's fine. If we get like pat like a certain amount of money. Or whatever. Like, we've reached our goal. I don't know what our goal is. I think our goal is about a million dollars. Yeah. Then we'll give you a song. And then you get a jaunty tune. Yeah. Yeah. That, we got to make it worth a million dollars. <laughs> you got to make that one million dollar hmm. song. Let's dig deep and look at our old videos of music that we created. Hell yes. <laughs> Maybe get inspiration from there. What would it take to, to get a, uh, a center stage reunion? All right, so this is probably the first time that people have heard of this, but I was in a boy band in high school, college. I think I went from high school high to school. college. Loyola Academy's no. very own center stage. And our group was called Center Stage. And there were some members who I will not say right now because I don't know if their identity wants to be <laughs> revealed, but... Uh, it was comprised of four members called Center Stage, and it just so happened that the movie Center Stage came out, and people were like, whoa, you named it after the movie? We're like, no, no, no. <laughs> so uh, we were a boy band, but yeah, um, we didn't really write our own stuff, we, like wrote one song. No. <laughs> but you did have a groupie, and that was uh, me. <laughs> that was, yeah. We had a groupie. <laughs> and then Magellan... Left to do his own thing. <laughs> I left the band. Uh, solo act. Man. But yeah, man, we should do we should do a piece. We'll we'll write something. 
write something and perform it for everyone. The theme song. The theme song? <laughs> We're going to sing our own theme song? Ooh. The Yadalas theme song. Oh, man. I don't know. This can go anywhere. It's only episode four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is only episode four. But it seems like I've been doing this for like a year already. I'm still learning. Never stop learning. Never stop learning. Question everything. <laughs> Never uh, stop learning. Question everything. Some, some of all experiences. experiences. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. We're at a one, we're at an hour and ten. I think we're good. Really? Do you want to keep going? I I don't know. Man, what do we do? I say this. I say we wrap up. And we, we, we keep wanting to do more. I don't know. Yeah. We'll just have, we'll just have you every day. <laughs> forget, forget asking <laughs> other people to be on this thing. This <laughs> is now the Eminem <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Forget it. It's just called Brothers. They, they have podcasts like that. Yeah. I've always wanted to do um, three people. One yeah. There's a, a podcast called um My Brother, My Brother and Me. Wow. Have you heard of this? It's three brothers. Really? Yeah. And they just they, Triplets? No, no, no. It's uh an older, a middle, and a younger. Um, like Hansen. Like like Hansen. They're the Hansen of podcasts. They're funny dudes though. They just like they, they riff off each other. They their show's about nothing and they just yeah. crank out an hour of bullshit every day. Yeah. <clears throat> it's nuts. Let's have Dave and Elaine on here and you and I'll, I'd have to get another mic, but we can, yeah. I think four is the max that I could, I'll ever do. How many podcast. people can we fit at the dining room? <laughs> yeah, we could fit. Yeah. Just a 10 person podcast. Hey, I did, I did one episode two or episode three, three, three people. No, we had six people, six people in Hawaii. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Tita Mila, uncle junior, Tita Lily. Tim Marina and mom and me, the six people. It worked out, but it was like, I mean, it was kind of a, it felt like I was facilitating a small group discussion in my class. <laughs> it, was like, it was a focus group. Yeah. So what did you think about culture? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it, it was nice. It was nice to hear what they had to say. It was, yeah. I think this is the medium that they, they've been waiting for. Yeah. This is their soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice to, to have more more relatives on and talk to them about stuff. Eventually, I'd like to have mom and dad on. I think we talked about that, too, in episode one. Um, Do you think they have the patience to sit down? No, for- absolutely. <laughs> they don't. You be, it's interesting because people who don't really understand this medium, they become a different person. Sure. Like, you're not used to having a conversation be an enjoyable thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's the natural thing. The moment that a, that a mic or a camera is in your face, you're just like, well, you know, you're, you're so self-conscious. You forget about that kind of, you just, you're there. You're in the moment. You have to be. You have to be. Um, I don't know. I think I got a lineup or an idea at least. Definitely going to have students coming on next. Two of them. Yeah. I already talked to them about that. Cool. So that's going to be, that's going to be fun. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> and not a train wreck. Uh, but, man, who knows where this is going to go. I do appreciate the people who are listening, though, and I, I know that 
um, you know, you're just you're just good people. You're good friends. Yeah. So thank you, everyone who's been tuning in. You know, whether it's five minutes, ten minutes, the whole episode. I appreciate you. Yeah. And uh, thanks for your support. Good stuff. Is there anything you want to plug? Um. No. <laughs> my li- I'm I'm at a pretty unexciting. <laughs> point in my life yeah if you want to give him money too you can Just yeah that's i also accept that we'll send up uh an account for you yes i don't know that's all right yeah help help the adow boys i also have a venmo account if you guys want to so. <laughs> all right well thank you everyone for listening thank you for tuning in and uh spread the word spread the love and we'll see y'all later peace peace